Welcome to Grace Capital Church Podcast, broadcasting from our Pembroke campus. Well, good morning. I just want to welcome you again. Today's message, as we're going on this series of Heart and Home, we would be remiss as a church if we didn't talk about what affects so many of us, divorce, and then the questions that so many people have about remarriage. And, you know, the, the world today, really, there used to be a time, if you grew up in the 40s, 50s, you know, it was kind of like divorce was taboo. Today, everybody knows somebody who's been divorced and probably half of this congregation, I wouldn't be surprised, has, has walked through the pain of divorce and, and some have been remarried and wondering, hey, have I done this right? Have I not done this right? Should have I done more? I want to be mindful that today is a very sensitive subject and I Also, I'm very mindful that there's so much pain wrapped around divorce. By no means do I want to put any stress or hardship on you um, from the reliving any pain. So let's just, before we go, just cover this time in prayer, and uh, then we'll hit hit this topic altogether. Father, I pray that you would just um, bring your spirit of comfort, your spirit of clarity, your spirit of truth here today that the words, any words that I would speak would be completely from you, God, that they would not be my own words, that they would be words of encouragement, but also the truth from your word. So Lord, I just pray that uh, you would just help us understand the purpose of marriage and, uh, and understanding this whole idea of divorce and remarriage and, and living with unbelieving spouses. So God, bring clarity to us this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Well, if I'm going to be kind of hitting some Bible verses, so if you have a pen, piece of paper, you'll want to write these things down. I, I will post this later on our GCC Groups page on Facebook. I know uh, Facebook is for the, for the older folks in the room, but if you're, uh, if you're younger, I know you can go still go on Facebook and um, check it out. But go to our GCC Groups page. If you're not a member of that, just subscribe and we'll make sure we get you to a member. So today I'm going to be talking to all of us. If you're young... You probably want to have the advantage of understanding what the Word of God says about marriage and divorce and remarriage. If you um, are here and you've gone through divorce, you already know what it's, how painful it is. If you are remarried, you, you know what it's like to have a blended family. If you've got kids in the middle of that and trying to navigate those waters. And if maybe you're divorced and you're still single, you have the question, should I remarry? Can I remarry? And what is the biblical stance on that. I know for us, when Audra and I first got married, we, we were intentional about going to some marriage conferences. And early on, we, we were told that, like, don't even let the D word in your house, the dirty D word, divorce. Because the moment you start giving way to that D word is the moment you kind of like, hmm, maybe I should consider this. So for us, Audra and I, we've been married 25 years in May, but, but before we sell yes, good celebration, yes. But I have to say that it's, it's not, it's been challenging at times. And, you know, but I also know as much as we celebrate marriages that are intact, that's not the reality for so many people. There's a scripture that, that talks about without vision, 
The people will perish without vision. And, and I wonder maybe if, if we've approached this whole topic of divorce or remarriage from a context of just saying, you know when, when you're a kid and it's like, mom does just tells me to do something and you want the why, right? Or there's like, don't, whatever the biblical things are, you want the why. And I wonder if maybe we haven't been told the why for divorce and remarriage and living with a, a, an unbelieving spouse and what's your responsibility there? The why. See, so the why will help us understand with some vision of what marriage should look like. Then it helps us to frame everything that we're talking about. And by the way, if you have gone through divorce, if you are remarried, there is hope for you. I want to make sure that you're not sitting here and like, oh, great, I've got to walk through 20 minutes of feeling like I've done something wrong. I want to encourage you to, to understand that there is hope. The songs we all sang about have to do with we're not defined by our past mistakes. We're defined by what we do with, uh, when Jesus comes and encounters us moving forward. Right? It's always about reconciliation. So the purpose of marriage, we said this a couple weeks ago, is to model the message of Jesus, Right? We said that a couple weeks ago. The purpose of marriage was to model the message of Jesus. And the message is the message of reconciliation. Reconciliation. That yet while we were sinners, Jesus went to the cross to reconcile humanity to the Father's heart. You understand, while we were in rebellion, while we were unfaithful, Jesus died for us to reconcile a relationship. He died. What a great cost. And if marriage is to be a reflection of it, is it any wonder that, that we're supposed to, guys, buy a diamond for our future wife? It comes at a great cost. We have to purchase her, don't we? Well, we purchased the ring to get her. At such a great cost. And then we read in Genesis what God has joined together. When there's a marriage, what God has joined together, let no man separate. And then we ask ourselves, but why is there so much separation going on? If God truly has joined these together, well, it has a lot to do with our own free will. It has a lot to do with our brokenness. It has a lot to do with our selfishness. And it has a lot to do with just a broken world. But the good news is that Jesus came to reconcile, to, to restore, to bring things back together. Well, I got a couple of verses for us, but we're going to start in Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, please turn there with me. I'm going to wait a few minutes for you. We're going to hang out in Matthew for a little bit. Matthew is not going to be on the screen, so if you have a device, go ahead and look at this. If you have a Bible, crack it open, Matthew chapter 19. While you're looking for that, you'll remember when we said, uh, we talked about marriage. When we started ta talking about, we have to look at the original design of marriage in Genesis. Then we went to Ephesians chapter 6 and why we were talking about husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. Wives submit to your husbands. And we're really saying, well, this was the model of Jesus. Marriage was the model to this world of how Jesus treated the church or the people of this world. 
And he really wanted this to be an image for the world to see. And this is the marriage. But yet we say it's a covenantal relationship. That's why when the two become one, it's not a legal document that you went down to the town hall and got your marriage license. And then when a marriage is dissolved, that it's the legal dissolving of a marriage. But it's a covenant relationship that the two become one. In Malachi, it says that, that the Spirit of God has made them one. And so this is when we start to gain some understanding of context of what marriage should look like, it's going to help us answer some of these confusing questions around divorce and remarriage and, and, and spouses who are living with unsaved or non-Christians. It says marriage is a great mystery in in Ephesians 6, right? Marriage is a great mystery because it's designed to model a spiritual relationship to a natural world. Catch this. Our marriages are to model a spiritual relationship, the relationship between God and his church, Jesus and the church, to a natural world. And so when you begin to frame it this way, to say my marriage is supposed to show Jesus to this world, then it starts to help you understand the why some of these things, these verses take place. So let's start with Matthew chapter 19. Jesus starts talking about this whole issue of divorce and the religious guys wanted to kind of test Jesus on this. 19 chapter, verse, chapter 19, verse 3. And the Pharisees came up to him and tested him, meaning Jesus, by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made him male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh, so they are no longer Two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not no man separate. So Jesus is quoting from Genesis chapter 2. Then he said to them, Why did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? See, this was the trick that the Pharisees were talking about because Moses did. He did permit divorce. But then Jesus answers that question. He says, He said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so, God's original design. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Oh, that's a hard hard one. All right, let's turn over to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 31, it says this, and it's kind of titled in my Bible, Divorce. It's red letters. It's Jesus speaking again. And it was also said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Meaning, quoting, it was said, Moses allowed it. But I say, Jesus now is correcting that, but I say that whoever divorces his wife except on the grounds of sexual immorality makes her commit adultery, and whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. Again, hard verses. 
Well, before you, anybody just starts getting too righteous of an intact marriage or feeling like, well, I haven't committed adultery, the standards just all of a sudden go up here in the New Testament. Because guess what? Right before that, it's titled lust. And here he says, if you even have lust in your heart, you have committed adultery. So here's what I would say. Anybody who has ever seen pornography, don't raise up your hand. But guess what? It's prevalent in our society today. Chances are you're an adulterer, which makes it me an adulterer. Because I've had lust in my heart before in my life as a married man. And so what this means is that we can't start pointing fingers at anybody. We have to look at our own heart, our own condition, and we have to say, what is God trying to teach us here? What is God trying to teach us? Well, we got to move on here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, it says this. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10. This is the Apostle Paul speaking. He says, to the married, I give this charge. He puts in quotes, not I, but the Lord. He's wanting to ensure that this is, he's speaking on the Lord's behalf. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband and the husband should not divorce his wife. See, all these verses are, are kind of, confusing. Okay, if I get divorced, now I can't marry. I got to stay unmarried or be reconciled to my husband. What do I do with this? We're going to get clarity here in a moment. Then he goes on verse 12. To the rest I say, I, not the Lord. Now Paul is just saying, you know what? I'm giving you my thoughts on this. That if a brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she uh, consents to live with him, he should not divorce her. And if any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Basically then goes on to say, and then with the hopes that he might come to know Jesus. With the hopes that he might come to know Jesus. In 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, if you want to write that down, 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1, you'll spend more time in your life group this week talking about that, but this is really understanding about a believing spouse with living with an unbelieving spouse. Well, not only to confuse the matter even more, but did you realize that God was a part of a divorce? God actually divorced somebody. God actually divorced himself from Israel. In Jeremiah chapter 3, and this is where it's really interesting to understand, well, if God hates divorce so much, does he hate himself? (laughs) In Malachi, it says that God hates divorce. Yes, because he understands the pain and he understands the, the unfaithfulness that goes along with that. But God himself actually gave Israel a divorce. Now, Israel, if you're not familiar with that, Israel was a group of people. They were from um, Jacob's family. Jacob, whose name later became Israel, the 12 tribes of of Israel. And it was a group of people that God had a covenantal relationship with. Remember, we said marriage had to do with covenant, not a contract. 
contract is a legal deal. When you go get married at the, uh, in a church or the justice of peace, you get your marriage license, that is, that is a contractual agreement, but that is so, that's we, we function as a state. But if you get married before the Lord, it is actually a covenant that you're having with one another. And here God has a covenant relationship with his people, but Israel became an adulteress. They had lust in their heart. They started following other gods, other ways. And they said, forget you, God, we're doing our own thing. And God says, because you want to do your own thing, I'm allowing myself to be divorced from you, O Israel. Now, if you read in Jeremiah chapter 3, the intention of the divorce, though, was for reconciliation. Well, how does that work? That God allowed for a divorce to take place only so he could woo Israel back? You see, God is never one about domineering and controlling. He's always about releasing, loving and releasing. And if he's saying, guess what, Israel, if you want to go your own way, guess, you're not going to have my blessing or my covering. Fine, if your heart wants to take you that direction, but you know what? When you go that direction, not under my covering, not under my, you won't have my blessing. You will be miserable, but I'm here to, whenever you're ready, to reconcile the relationship. If you read Jeremiah chapter 3, it was always about God wanting to reconcile the people back to himself. But in that process of allowing that divorce to take place, he was desiring for Israel to come back to him. A couple of things I want you to be thinking about. God's original design of marriage. Marriage's model, which is to reflect Jesus and his love for the church to the world that doesn't know him. And then this whole idea of this covenantal relationship that God wants us to have with each other to show the rest of the world this covenantal relationship that we have with our Father in heaven. So, what does this mean? If you run it through that filter, if you understand what God's purpose of marriage is, that we begin to have a vision for what marriage is, then we have to make some of these sense out of some of these scriptures that talk about how is it that what happens when we get a divorce? Do I have to stay single forever until somebody dies? Let me give you some just clarity on those things. Because... Marriage is a physical representation of a spiritual reality. It's a physical representation of a spiritual reality. This is why marriages are so under attack. Because if Satan can take marriages out of the equation, if we can actually remove the model to the rest of the world of, of what it is that Jesus is doing to this world, if we can remove that, then people will lose hope and they will lose the vision, and they will lose the sight of a God who wants to reconcile people to himself. If we understand that, we understand the attacks that our marriages will go through. But number one, when there is adultery and the unfaithful spouse wants a divorce, I'm just getting really practical now, because everybody wants to know, like, what are my guidelines? If there's, an adulter- if there's an adultery and the unfaithful spouse wants a divorce, you are free to get a divorce. 
But I would encourage you, if there is an adultery in your relationship, you have an unfaithful spouse and they want to say, I want to make this work, to model the message of Jesus of reconciliation. While we were yet sinners, Jesus went to the cross. So we would say, in a, in a marriage relationship, while my spouse is a sinner in this by the way, we're all sinners, so stop pointing fingers at your spouse because we probably got our own things we're working on, right? But while they were in their unfaithfulness, our great love and hope is that we would reconcile a relationship. That's the intention. But guess what? If your unfaithful spouse wants to say, forget you, I have nothing wanted, and he wants to abandon you, you know what? You are free to receive that divorce that they want to give you. But it's not God's heart. He hates that because it, it, it destroys the model to this world of reconciliation. Number two. Oh, I already gave you this. If, if the unwilling party wants to repent and, and want to restore that relationship, then stay and work on that relationship. But I know, but the hurt it has caused me, the pain has caused, he doesn't deserve me anymore. I get it. But how do you think God feels when we're unfaithful to him? And yet he pursues us, even though we're unfaithful to him. His reckless love. See, when we put it through the filter of this, that our marriages are supposed to have the, the model of the message of reconciliation that Jesus gives to us, we have to say, I gotta die to myself, I gotta die to my flesh, and I've got to try to work everything I can to keep this message of reconciliation alive. Okay, number three. After a divorce, you are to remain single. Okay, this is the one that I think is a little hard for, harder for people. And honestly, I've struggled through this. And I want to give you some, I am trying to represent what I believe the word of God is saying, but I also know that, uh, that I'm running it through my own turmoil of trying to figure out what, God, what are you saying that I can give instruction, clear instruction to your church? But it says, after a divorce, you remain single. Because what it says in this verse is this, if anyone marries a divorced person, you're making them commit adultery. Why? If you go back to covenantal relationship, you understand that just because they have a legal certificate of divorce, they are still bound together in a covenantal relationship. Now, Here's the clause for you. Everybody wants the out clause, right? How do I, do I have to just remain single for the rest of my life? Well, remember, it's always about reconciliation. So if your unfaithful spouse that you got a divorce from, or you, even if they weren't faithful, you're now in a place where you have a divorce. The other person has not remarried, stay single. Why? Because you're, you're praying for reconciliation, that's what God's heart was for Israel, right? Even though he divorced Israel, he was, his heart was that he would woo them back into relationship. This is why you remain single and pray that God, would you restore that relationship? Would you reconcile that relationship? Now, when are you free to remarry? I would say if the door, and I would go to this is what Paul, this is where, this is where I'm going to quote Paul. This is where, 
I, Mark, not the Lord, says. But if you follow the theme of reconciliation, I would say that if the, if the window is closed for reconciliation, in other words, if the previous spouse has gotten remarried, there's no possibility of reconciliation. You're free to marry. You're free to remarry. But once a door is closed to reconciliation, either they, maybe you have to wait till they die too. Don't try to kill them. Don't try to kill them. That, that would also be a sin. Um, but then you're free to marry if the person dies as well. But the heart of all of this, now let me just touch on this whole idea of, of staying with, your, you, you came to Christ, but you have an unbelieving spouse. Am I, we're unequally yoked. The Bible says that we should be equally yoked. By the way, young people, if you're not married, please, 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 if you hear anything, do not marry somebody who does not love Jesus. Oh, number one thing I tell my kids, that's fine. When you're ready to start dating to get married, number one quality, if they don't know the Lord, don't date them. <laughs> well, I'm, they might get saved by me. Forget that either. <laughs> Just find the one that loves the Lord who will cherish you. Anyways, unbelieving spouses... The Bible does say that it's good for you to stay in your marriage in hopes that you will win them to Christ. Remember, it's always about reconciliation. It's always about reconciliation. See, marriage is not a feeling. It's a decision to be faithful regardless of how you feel. In our world where we love to romanticize everything and we love the, the movies with the, the love story and, and, we, and then we, we love the love story too, but then we get in marriages and we feel like the love story is gone. We got hijacked somehow. It's like, I, I thought I was supposed to live in la-la land for the rest of my life. But it's work. And, and if anything I want you to take away from this is understanding if the vision that we have to work towards, the why that we need to make marriages work is because there is a lost and dying world that needs to see the reconciliation message of Jesus Christ and they're looking at your marriages. They're looking at your marriages to see the model of a reconciling God. Because marriages aren't perfect, so there has to be a lot of forgiveness. And there is probably levels of unfaithfulness at any given time. Unfaithfulness of, with your time. Unfaithfulness with your affection. Unfaithfulness with these types of things. And day by day, you still have to come to the place of saying, hey, either I forgive you, will you forgive me? And you reconcile a relationship and keep Jesus in the middle of a relationship because you're in a covenantal relationship, just not a contract. I'm going to end with a scripture. In 2 Corinthians, this will sum up our purpose of a marriage. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 
16 through 21. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we were once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. What that really means, to sum that up, to interpret that for you, is realize that we're spiritual. And we got to look at some of these things through a spiritual lens. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Can I hear an amen on that one? The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. And I want to give you that encouragement today. There is no condemnation. There's no judgment on you. When you come to Christ and you say, Lord, please forgive me for the sins of my past. And he says, today you're a new creation. All this is from God through Christ. Through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us a ministry of reconciliation. Our marriages are a ministry of reconciliation. That is, that Christ God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting us with a message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors of Christ, making God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God for our sake. He made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Let our marriages be a message of reconciliation. And I would say that for those of you who are remarried. You've already experienced the pain of divorce. You've already made a decision to remarry. So today, put your marriage, your current marriage, under the Lordship of Jesus Christ and say, uh, we are going to be determined that our marriage is going to be a marriage that shows the world this message of reconciliation. If you've been married for 25 years or more like Audra and I, we still have to work on our marriage. It doesn't come easy. If you're divorced and now you're single, I also understand the pain of that. I've talked with many of you who are faced facing that situation. If you're thinking about divorce and your marriage is on the rocks, please, please, please do everything you can to offer forgiveness, to work towards reconciliation. Don't give in to the D word because it snuffs out the model and the mirror to a world that so needs us to show them that there is a reconciling God. There's a couple resources at this church that we want to make known to you. First, we understand that even though we have the model of what we believe is God's best for us, circumstances still happen. Somebody reminded me yesterday, divorce is not the unpardonable sin. 
So we want to stand with you. If you faced a divorce, you're going to need healing. It's painful. A divorce is painful. And that's why we offer divorce care at this church. And we'll make known as a current session's going on, but when the next session comes in, and you can start any time, that divorce care resource should be on our website, and you can find that there. I also want to let you know that we are in the process of creating a resource that's called Blended and Blessed. In other words, how do you still find life after remarrying and get this blended family and it seems like all of a sudden World War III just hit? <laughs> how do we do Blended and be blessed? And we're working on that resource to support you as well because it's great to say, oh, here's God's ideal. But the reality of having to walk through this, it's messy, it's hard. And we all just want to try to do what is honoring to God. As we close this service, I know a lot of people who still carry a lot of guilt and shame from failed marriages. And I really was praying, said, God, how, how do people really get free from that? And so they can move forward because, God, when, I, when you saw the woman at the well who had been with five guys and the guy she was with was not her husband and Jesus gave her living water at that moment and at that moment he basically says, go and don't keep doing what you're doing. You're chasing after the wrong thing. Or the woman who was caught in adultery and the religious guys were getting ready to stone her and, and Jesus shows up and basically says, hey, I'm not counting this sin against you, but, but go and sin no more. He always takes us right at the moment of when he shows up and he says, you're now accountable for when I've shown up and let the past be the past. So as I've been praying about what it is that we need to do. What is the response to free people from the guilt and the shame of their, because that's not of God. The guilt and shame is not from God. But I wonder if there's a level of acknowledgement of just saying, I I'm sorry, God, that, that my marriage didn't best reflect this message of reconciliation. I wonder if that simple acknowledgement is, is the thing that you need to set you free from the guilt and the shame of your past, that you carry this burden of like you're some second-rate citizen. Because I'm telling you, you are not a second-rate citizen. You're a child of God. You're a new creation. So stop carrying around the baggage of your past. So as we close today, when we sing this song, I wonder if that is you, that you feel like you just want to come before the Lord and you want to say, God, I am sorry that my marriage did not reflect a message of reconciliation. Just come and just kind of repent that to the Lord. Share that with the Lord. And I have a feeling that God will just kind of remove that stuff, that residual, that you'll walk out here feeling excited about the future. Excited about the future. If you're watching online, I know that this is a moment for you as well. And I would just encourage you, come before the Lord. If you have had a failed marriage or you're struggling with your marriage, come before the Lord and say, God, I want to, my marriage to be a model of reconciliation or Lord, I'm sorry that my marriage has not been a model of reconciliation.
I'm just going to pray. We're going to sing and you guys can respond to the Lord. But I also want to remind you, just an aside, not to change this, this mood that, or this moment that we have, is that we do have Celebrate Recovery meeting right after this service, right in here. Kind of goes in keeping with the saying, you know what, past mistakes don't define us. We need to have resources to support each other now. So Father, we just thank you so much for this vision for marriage that we would model to this world what it is that Jesus, you have done to reconcile people to the Father's heart. That Jesus, you at great cost was was willing to give your life for us while we were yet sinners. Let each one of us have a heart to say, let's not look at our spouses and point fingers or let's not condemn ourselves for past mistakes, but let us today, starting today, determine that our marriage or our singleness or whatever state we find us in is going to be a place of honoring you and a place of of revealing this message of reconciliation. God, for anybody who is carrying the guilt and the shame of their past, Father, I release that right now in Jesus' name. They do not have to carry that anymore. Father, for people who have struggled with the decisions they've made in their past, maybe they've been the unfaithful one, but Father, I pray right now that there is forgiveness because God, haven't we all been unfaithful to some degree to you? In Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to the Grace Capital Church podcast. If you'd like to know more about this podcast and the mission that we have in New England, or if this podcast has been a blessing to you and you would like to support this ministry financially, please visit us online at gccnh.com 